You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of interstate battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery, which by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a range finder or one of your children's toys, uh, Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you, or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So, Stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Howdy, folks, <laughs> and welcome back to the Nine Figure Chronicles. Hopefully, everybody's having a good day. I hope that if you're having a real shitty day, that this episode and this podcast is that silver lining on your thunderstorm cloud, or you can you can sit back and you can smile just for a brief moment, or while you're at work in a cubicle or on the manufacturing line or making your deliveries or making sales calls or whatever, you can listen to this podcast and forget about all that extra crap and maybe get transported into the field, into the timber, and I don't know, think about hunting for a little bit. And uh, today we have a guest who I have wanted on the podcast um, for a long time now, and finally our schedules clicked. And I'll tell you what, the, in my opinion, I feel like the hunting community, the hunting industry, uh, the world really needs a little bit more of Aaron Snyder. And uh, if you don't know who Aaron Snyder is, Aaron is a, first and foremost, a hardcore bow hunter. Like the dude has a passion for it, just like we all have a passion for it. Um, he is the president owner of Kafaru. And he is uh, the host of the Kafaru uh, podcast, the, Kf- the Kafaru cast. And uh, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, it's just a straight up BS session. And although there's a little bit of a timeline in there, it, you know, I derail it every once in a while by going, you know, through a new line of questioning like I always do. You know, I always shoot from the hip. And uh, so this is a really good BS session with Aaron. And uh, like I said, man, I feel like the world needs a little bit more of him these days. And uh, man, it's just a really good episode. It's one of those episodes where I had a blast interviewing it. Where It really wasn't just me trying to get through a list, list of questions, which I never have. But it was just two dudes talking. And uh, that's... That those podcasts ends up, end up turning up the best. So um, let's do a commercial real quick. And that commercial is lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. You guys know, uh, know I'm a mobile hunter. And if you've been listening to this podcast since the very beginning, you know that I've been using the Lone Wolf 
hunting lineup, right? Four sticks and the assault. That's my go-to. I have a couple alphas that I use as well, but four sticks and the assault, that will get me in any tree that I need to get in. Do I use all four sticks? No, not every time, but four sticks, the assault, it'll get me as high, as low as I need to, crooked trees, straight trees, it'll get me in the right tree. And that's the most important part of of hunting, right? Not just the, the straightest tree that's 50 yards away from this pinch point. I want to be in the pinch point and I want to be in whatever tree I need to be in to get the job done. And that's what Lone Wolf does, man. It allows you to get in the right tree. So um, if you want to find out more information about Lone Wolf and their entire lineup of sticks and hang on tree stands, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. I have a discount code here and that is for $50 off all orders over 200 bucks. So that'll get you a discount on tree stands. That'll get you, um, I think, a discount on a set of four a set of four sticks. So 9FC50, 9FC50, that's gonna save you $50 off all orders over $200. And that is Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Badass, man. Badass, made in America too, by the way. So peep that. All right, so I don't want to do any more chatting other than this. We got just a, some really quick housekeeping here. Please go and subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Right, it's uh, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, any anywhere that there's podcasts, you're going to find the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles there as well, and the Sportsman's Nation. Follow me there, and uh, man, that's it. That's just subscribe, follow along, get all of the content coming through all of the platforms and you'll be a happy camper. Go check out Lone Wolf and uh, let's get into today's BS session with Aaron Snyder in three, two, one. All right. Someone that I've wanted on this podcast for a really long time and finally our schedule's connected. Mr. Aaron Snyder. Aaron, how are we doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like talking to people who like to hunt things. Uh, that's the, that's what how I describe my podcast is people who enjoy hunting things, and that that's a, a really wide variety of people. But uh, that's in a in a short, long, however you want to look at it. That's uh, that's the people that I talk to on this episode, and you fall into that category. Yeah, I have a problem. I think um, <laughs> I hunt more than anybody I know. Like, and that's not an exaggeration. So, yeah, I definitely like to hunt things. Yeah. So, uh, how's your season been this far? Uh, good, man. Really, really good. Uh, I did. I guess the only animal I didn't get, I went after was an was an elk. I was um, really trying to, uh, you know, focus on shooting a a really big elk. The first elk I killed with a a stick bow. Um, was decent you know and my goal was to to shoot a, a bigger one than that one and it just i didn't get it done um i had a lot of you know a lot of animals in front of me that that it, now you know looking back now i'm like well crap i shouldn't have shouldn't have passed that up but um other than that man it's been crazy uh uh you know three mule deer uh, i got a bison which really wasn't much of a hunt but it was fun and uh oh i got an antelope which was kind of another goal and and uh just shot a big out dad uh javelina so it's been crazy Nice. So are all of these animals like first time notches in your belt or are they more of a, I've killed, I've killed several mule deer before, or I've killed a javelina before, or are these like new experiences for you? Man, the only thing I haven't shot so far is a buffalo. Um, you know, even with the stick bow, I guess, uh, I get, you know, I shot the buffalo with the, the recurve, but, um, the, the antelope, I've shot a pile of antelope, but that was my first one with the recurve. And I shot a bunch of mule deer with the, you know, the recurve. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've been lucky with that, Dad. So most of them are really just my a goal of shooting a bigger one than the, the last one. Um, you know, but I've hunted with a, a compound. Most, a lot of people know me just as a, a stick bow shooter, but I, I actually shot competitively with a compound for years and, have a full range at my house, uh, bow press. My, you know, my wife shoots a compound. I tune everybody's bows for them that I know. And I just kind of lost interest in archery. And 
Uh, I, re- I definitely have found it again with the, the stick. But I actually sh- I shot a couple animals with a rifle this year, and that didn't happen very often for me either. Uh, a company made me a, a custom rifle, and I think, well, I- I'll shoot a couple animals with it, and, and uh, it's 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 different, but it's fun, and I, I just like to hunt. So um, certainly certainly a good position to be in. Yeah, that's a, that's a phase in my life that I'm not quite to yet. I've here in Iowa, we have party hunting and I always used to be a uh, part of a group, you know, that on during shotgun season, you know, you, you, you go out, you do a drive, you come back, you eat some chili, drink some beers, you go out, you do a drive again until one year I almost got shot. And that was the last time I ever deer hunted with a gun. So I, I've been bow hunting ever since, but I really feel like hunting with a rifle could possibly expand my season and my opportunities a little bit more as I get further on in in my life. So for, for you, was it, was it something that you liked or was it just like, well, I better go do this. Uh, it actually kind of funny. Um, I, I, uh, it, uh, I grabbed my recurve. I was with my buddy Luke and it was a private land only tag and you can't shoot it on public. They actually, the buck jumped on from, from public to private. And I went to grab uh, my recurve and he's like, dude, just tip it over with a gun. Um, if it runs back, you know, the last thing we want is questions asked, where'd we shoot it? What's it on? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I got a big enough target on my back already. So I was like, all right. So I, I flipped it over with the gun and, uh, oh, that's cool. And I mean, obviously fairly easy. And then we thought we had a wounded buck. My buddy hit, um, in Texas and it's, it's rifle season down there. And he's like, man, just, just put it down with the, the gun. And this was like just a couple of days ago. And so I, um, you know, I, I flipped it over, uh, with the gun. It didn't actually end up having a scratch on it. We thought he hit it. And, uh, and it was, super cool and and uh i mean it's it, it's different but it's nice to have that gun around when i'm guiding um you know in, in specific seasons especially guide now dad if someone wounds one we don't have to worry about it we can put it down with the rifle so the chance of me doing very many rifle hunts is kind of slim and none but it certainly doesn't bother me to have it around yeah yeah so i kind of want to go back uh, all the way back really today and I kind of want to see where you came from where your you know where your hunting roots kind of came from and I, I guess the the first question that I really have for you is did you grow up in a outdoor or a hunting family yeah my dad hunted a little bit but I, I definitely grew up hunting from a very young age because of his friends um I'm from an extremely small town in Oregon, a couple hundred people. It's on the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, probably backpack hunting got what got me going in that is uh, I worked on a trail crew in the summers and we cleaned off all the uh, brush and fallen trees and wilderness trails. So, you know, at 14 years old, I had a single buck or double buck crosscut saw and a, and a double bladed axe. And, you know, literally with a bunch of grown men climbing these trails, it was me and another kid, Adam Crowfoot. And, uh, both of us that were raised in an outdoor kind of a logging community family. So they knew we could handle it or, or at least thought we could. And that opened my eyes to a world that was unknown to me. You know, my dad was a road hunter. Um, probably drank a little too much when he was hunting. Um, <laughs> you know, definitely did not hunt the way I did. And when we got back there, I was seeing animals that I had never even known that kind of quality and quantity existed at a young age. And so, I was always that kid that um, was always, you know, I picked mushrooms for a living uh, for school clothes, split firewood, was always outdoors. There's nothing to do in a town of 200 people. I was on a big lake, always fishing. And once I learned about backpack hunting, then I started backpacking and fishing and, you know, doing things that probably most 14, 15 year old kids um, wouldn't be doing. And so, you know, having that kind of background, then I I joined the army. you know, it's pretty, pretty young age. And I didn't get to hunt a lot when I was in the, the army, but I learned a lot more, learned about land nav, um, learned to not be afraid basically of how far you can go. And so now, like, if you follow along, we do some pretty crazy, 
you know, 10, 12, 14 day backpack trips. Um, and I, I just, I'm, I'm addicted to, to every type of hunting and I really like backpack hunting. So, yeah. So when you were young and you were on that crew of guys and you, you know, and you were chopping wood and you were out experiencing nature and seeing that, Hey man, if I get off the road, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit different of an opportunity at different animals. Um, did that, at, at that point, did you have a mentor or were you kind of self-taught? No, nah, I was pretty self-taught. Um, you know, I mean, there was grown men, obviously I was learning from to a certain degree, but a lot of what I learned, and, and this isn't like a, you know, I'm not saying this to sound more manly than I am because I certainly wish I had a better um mentor because it sucks learning everything on your own specifically backpack hunting but it is good because it's a pack fail thing so if you suck at it you're going to learn a lot faster yeah um you know so like some of my first backpack trips were you know for black tails and they were bench legs they're half mule they're half black tail um you know and, and, and just getting back there is hard enough and then finding them i didn't know how to stock i didn't know how long to wait so you know you see a deer your first instincts go after it i, I just guided the guy that you know, we're watching this deer and he's a mule deer and he's like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, dude, you got two hours before we even think about moving, sit your ass down. Like we're not going over there. Well, why? I'm like, cause it's got to lay down. Yeah. Well, what time do they lay down? I'm like, yeah, nine thirty, ten. they get up again. You don't stop them till they're in their second bed, man. I learned that like five, six, seven years of blown stocks. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's super exciting, but it, it's also, uh, little rough on you um <laughs> when you're first getting going so. yeah yeah that's uh that's a learning curve i'm going through right now like i've i've just expanded you know i'm a i'm pretty green when it comes to the western side of things but the last two years you know i've made trips to south dakota and and i'm trying to learn the the mule deer lifestyle so to speak and uh i am failing a lot yeah, and you know, it seems like when it when it clicks, it clicks, and you you've got it. Um, and I say you've got it, believe me, it's lots of blown stocks. But there's just certain things like um, it was an eye opener for me that on this hunt I just went and a client I had of things I am now 100% taking for granted, where I'm shooting an azimuth to the deer uh, with my compass, getting a known point behind it, getting a back azimuth so we can loop around so I know the exact direction of travel that will run me into the deer. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I should be teaching you this. I'm sorry. I was like, you know, and, and, and then again, like when to move forward and when not. I mean, there's times I was sprinting forward, and he's like, I had no idea we could move like that. And I'm like, dude, it's pretty much free, full-on full Donkey Kong, full-rip potato chip until we're within 100. Uh, maybe 150 and then I creep down and I'm not dropping my socks until maybe a hundred yards out and all things that I take for granted. And I'm trying to get better about doing videos and podcasts about because um, it can be pretty demoralizing in it, 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 it first for people like it's, it's unattainable, but it, it is very attainable once you get the hang of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I'm uh, I'm excited because you know, I, I love whitetails. Uh, that's, I know I'm from Iowa. I, I've been, you know, born into, you know, born into the state here and it, they're, they're accessible in my backyard, but I, and I, and I, I got a thing for elk too, but there's something about mule deer for me that like, I, I honestly want to move to North or South Dakota so I can hunt them all the time. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's crazy. I just, I think about them a lot lately. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I've been getting a lot of, you know, people see what they want to. I've been getting a little bit of crap from guys because I've been whitetail hunting a lot this year. And it's like, well, guys, I spent 26, 27 days basically straight in the wilderness for elk. A um, couple mountain goat hunts where I was helping out, a couple sheep hunts, a lot of backpacking trips. Like, you know, October starts, I'm kind of eh, getting away from uh, the backpack hunting and hunting whitetail, I haven't got to do it that much. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, I've got to hunt whitetail a decent amount, but, um, you know, if I get to go hunt whitetail, I, I'm going, I, I like whitetail hunting, but again, 
I've got three uh, mule deer hunts left this year, and I'm super excited about them. So mixing it up is is certainly, you know, it keeps the fire under you. You know, yeah. I, I, whitetail is way different than mule deer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fact. And uh, and I think one of the reasons why it is, I, I I think about it a lot is because it is different. And I, you know, I've I've hunted whitetails for several years, a long time now, and it's it's a new adventure. And I, you know, I'm not thinking about the things that I'm thinking about when I'm white tail hunting. It's very stimulating to be honest with you. And I think that's why I like it so much. Oh yeah. And, and, and somebody asked me this morning about white tail hunting and what gets me excited. And I'm like, being in an elevated position in an area, you know, a deer is going to go by or there's a good chance, um, being able to see far and watch those things creep in is a different anxiety level because I've done the spot and stock thing so long than it is creeping up on one. There's anxiety and excitement for both, but um, if, if, if you've hunted spot and stock and, and elk and, and mule deer, sheep, goat, whatever, your whole life where you're always on the ground, the first time you're in a tree, it's a whole new world. Um, and and it, it's, they're both awesome. They're just different. Yeah. Now, I, I want I want your advice on on something here. I have a lot of friends uh, who have killed really good whitetails for several years. Right? They they have a ma- a main farm and and they take a really good uh, whitetail every you know every se- season. But they they have I don't want to say they have no interest in going west and hunting elk or a different species antelope mule deer or whatever it's almost like they feel like if if they skip out on whitetails and they don't they don't do whitetails for a year or or whatever then I don't know their street cred or something goes down and they it, they may look like a fool if they or feel like a fool if they go out West and try hunting a, a new species, any advice for that guy? Yeah. I mean, I'm getting it on the reverse end. So I guess it's the advice I'm taking for myself is I'm not here to make anyone else happy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to make me happy. And if other people are happy at the same time, it's a bonus. I, um, to me, uh, it is worth the risk of one year, at least, trying it yeah and they're not gonna i mean you're gonna probably go hunt you know maybe you won't go in both season maybe you'll go in rifle but you're fitting it's only one week yeah. uh you're gonna go out there and you're gonna still be able to hunt whitetails on the weekends right i mean if, if you're if you're bound up for time a little bit probably be able to hunt on the weekends um and it's worth the risk because if your life's a book do you want it to be one chapter yes yeah. i don't i want a lot of chapters and i want those things to be boss the walls exciting and if my every chapter was mule deer, yeah, by chapter three or four, there may still be some excitement, but it'd be pretty dang cool to throw in another hunt in there and experience a total different type of hunting, and which is obviously in my case why I hunt, you know, 15 different species in one year. I like a lot of chapters, and, and that's what I would tell them. It's like, hey, at least give it a try one year and, and see what's what. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so... You fall in love with this backpack style hunting. You you mentioned you went to the army and that kind of restricted your your hunting. How long were you in the army for? Um, I guess I reenlisted, so I don't know seven eight years. I guess something okay. like that. Okay. Um, I uh, I was in Fort. I was a combat engineer at Twelve Bravo. I worked with scouts some, which is uh, kind of a little bit like backpack hunting, but um, I you know I didn't learn a ton in the army when it came to to backpack hunting you know per se but i did i did learn you know to take abuse i learned land nav uh common sense uh you know things of that nature i learned some about gear but the biggest thing i learned is the human body is capable of just about anything and when you're capable of anything the the no mountain too high the uh you know no valley too far whatever that saying is i, I learned that i can do really anything I want to, uh, my, 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 my mind is going to fail far before my body. And, and that helps a lot with backpack hunting because there's a lot of animals we kill that, that quite honestly, other people just aren't willing to go to. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I would attribute a lot of that just to taking an ass whooping in the, the army. And by no means, I had a level of, um, you know, ODA teams or SEALs or, or, or Delta Force or anything like that. But, you know, you're getting an ass whooping in the army no matter what you do if you're in a combat MOS. So. Yeah. yeah that, that reminds me of my very first elk hunt uh, in Idaho. Uh, let's see, it was like 2014 or something like that. We drove from Iowa straight through that whole one big drive, got to the trailhead, hiked up, and uh, and then the next morning I woke up, felt great, and then you know had to actually move and do some hunting, and I was mentally defeated within the first eight hours uh, for the next five days. And because I, I, I didn't know what to expect, I probably wasn't a, a, as prepared as I needed to be. So I, I know exactly what you mean when, like, I'm, I probably was in pretty good physical condition, but my, I'd never experienced that before. And my, my, my mind just goes, nope, you're a pussy. And, and it was done. It was over from there. Yeah. And I've gotten crap before about talking crap. And I, I mean it in the best of intentions of, the amount of money the Department of Wildlife makes or the whatever Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife, I think is what it's called, by people that go home early is astronomical. And, you know, that's generally mental weakness. Um, well, not generally, pretty much always mental weakness. Maybe 5% is actually a, a family emergency or a physical ailment. But for the most part, you're, you're just being a pussy. And that's just how life is. Um, it's one of the reasons I think most people hunt whitetails uh, in a lot of ways, it's easier. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it's easier to kill one. Uh, shooting a five and a half year old mature whitetail is not an easy task. But you know, some people backpack in and everything else. But you're not at twelve thousand or ten thousand feet. You're not multiple days in. You're not packing your food on your back. Um, you know, and and and, and you have a, a bad time. You go home to a heater and dinner and your wife. Yeah. You have a bad time in the mountains, you go back to a Gore-Tex coffin, a tent, whatever. <laughs> it's just it's just different. And obviously, I'm not talking crap about whitetail hunting because I'm, I'm addicted to that too. But having a mental uh, – becoming friends with pain uh, means you will never be alone. And, and you need to become friends with pain, and, and you'll be a lot better backpack hunter. And when I say that, meaning human body can go three weeks or so, a couple of three weeks without eating. I'm not saying you need to do that, but – if you are, you have a protein bar left and you spot an elk at one o'clock, another mile in, oh, I don't have enough food. Yeah, I got enough food. I'll figure it out. Like, let's go. Yeah. Where other people, until you get accustomed to that, it's a little more difficult. And I get it. I mean, the first time I sat all day in a tree stand, you would have thought I went on a 72-day backpack time. I'm like, this is horrible. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, it's that, that type of mentality where sitting in a stand, if I sit here long enough, and now I'll do whatever it, it takes. But, I, I mean, if you know that there's a high probability of, of getting, you know, I can get to an elk in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, a mile away, depending on what terrain, that's not that bad. Even if it took me an hour, it's an hour out of a long life of many hours. Yeah. Ah, if there's a high probability of me killing it, I'm going. And, and, and most people, um, would, that a Western hunt would agree with that is, you know, you think about it, if you break it down literally at an animalistic, like black and white level, it's a mile. It is not that far. I don't have food. I can go a long time without it. As long as I have water, I have the gear to survive overnight, which probably won't happen. And it's not that far back to camp. You know, it's a mile back or let's say two miles back to camp, three miles. That's nothing. But in your mind, it's a lot. And getting over that hump is the key to victory. Yeah. So you get out of the Army. At at what point after the Army do you cannonball into it and say, hey, man, I'm going to make this my – I'm going to make this my definition, hunting, bow hunting, backpack hunting, whatever. This is who I am. Um. Well, I actually wasn't the army. Uh, I got divorced, and when I did, uh, and I had a, I had a, my daughter, and I went and tried to go live by my daughter in, in Texas, of all places. And I like visiting Texas; not my place to live. Um, I decided, hey, I'm just well, I have joint custody. I'll fly her up. I'm moving to Colorado. I was like, okay, I am going to hunt and be in the woods and fish 
literally as much as humanly possible. That's my first goal. And really what transformed me into an outdoor career wasn't me calling somebody and say, how do I get in the outdoor industry? Or I didn't care about the outdoor industry. I wanted to hunt until my fingers and feet fell off. That's, that was my goal. And so I took a lot of uh, unpaid time off. I hunted way more. I actually had this, I had an unbelievable position as the uh, basically president of a commercial glass and ironworking company. We did shower doors and high rises and all kinds of crap. And they, I stepped down after two or three years because I hunted too much. I was just gone, which I totally got. And I became kind of a, um, what you call a rover in football. I did all kinds of stuff, went and looked over jobs, helped out, you know, project managing because I had done that a bunch. So I could take time off. No one was dependent upon me. And it, it's actually kind of a weird story. Um, I, and some of it I'm under non-disclosure agreement to talk about, but I, I, I had decided one day I'm going to quit construction today and I will find a way, whether it be guiding articles, whatever it takes, I'm going to figure it out. I had saved some money. I was selling some designs to a different company that would get me maybe 30 or 40 grand. Uh, and uh, I was a consultant for the farm, the company that I own now. And uh, that day I ripped my bicep off with this enormous piece of glass, lifting it up into a scissor lift. And I was like, you got, I immediately panicked. I'm like, oh my, what did I do? Oh, there goes my plan. I'm stuck doing construction. What did I, you know, and, I, and, and, and they're like, oh, well, you get, I've never been injured before. I've never been unemployed. They're like, oh, yeah, you get paid. You're on workman's comp. Go to physical therapy. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to type a bunch of articles while I'm getting paid. So I, I, I was like not aware I would get paid for the injury. I guess how workman's comp works. If you cut a finger off, your fingers were 10 grand or something. Well, I ripped the bicep off and it was $15,000. So at the end of my, you know, three months out in, in workman's comp or whatever it took, the lady from Pinnacle Assurance calls me and says, Hey, uh, you're going to be released next week. Uh, the physical therapy said you're doing amazing. That one of the best patients they have, I guess they have people screwing the system over all the time. And I'm like, well, I've got a brown bear hunt with Clay Lancaster. I'm trying to get healed up for it. Like, yeah, hey, I'm trying to get this and get going. So, I, uh, I, they, she's, I said, hey, if I, if I don't come back, am I going to be in trouble? And she's like, no, of course not. And, and she kind of alluded to the fact she said, I probably wouldn't come back either. Your, your boss is fighting your claim because I had done uh, steroids in my younger days. And I was like, well, just because I drank and drove in 1988 doesn't mean that I, you know, if I get in a car wreck in 2004, it's because of that. Like, what the hell? Like, this is, <laughs> and I've made this dude millions of dollars. So they, he actually, it ended up getting reinvestigated, which he got in a lot of trouble for because, I, I, you know, the glass was like 270 pounds and you're one person's only supposed to pick up 70. There's a bunch of stuff involved. Will they re-x-ray everything? And there was issues with my tendon rubbing on the bone suture. I got more money for that. And then if you file a piece of paper that says you'll never come back on um, workman's comp, I guess people milk the system the rest of their lives. You get an extra 10 grand. So I, I filed all that. And so here I had money to, to sit on uh, with, thank God, to, to get going in the outdoor industry. And so I did some guiding off and on and, and uh, you know, was working with Kafari. Well, Kafari started growing and they brought me on at a bigger you know, position. And then, um, you know, shortly after that, I ended up becoming the president and CEO of the company. And then, you know, obviously now a few months ago, I, I bought it with my business partner. So it's been a crazy world. That's probably, you got more than you uh, bargained for when you asked that question, but right. it's been crazy uh, how it worked out. So what's that time frame? I mean, you were in the army for seven or eight years. How, what, what time frame did we just cover there? Was it 20 years or more? Yeah, so I'm old, uh, not super <laughs> old, but definitely mid, mid-40s. mid I think a lot of people assume I'm younger than I am. Um, I uh, turn, how old do I, I I'm 44, 45 uh, in a month, or I guess. Um, and so I joined the Army in 95, and I got out in, so six years is what I was in, actually. Well, actually in, um, there were some, you know, um, residual stuff at the end there but um i got out i guess 2001 i worked in the glass industry for 
11 years uh, from 2000, uh, roughly, right, 2001 to 2011 or 12, that I started working for Kafaro and quit in 2012. Uh, I became the CEO in 2014 or 15, and uh, we just bought it in 2020. So, so there was a gap. There was a gap there from when you actually were working for Kafaru and when you actually bought the company. A very long gap. I worked for Kafaru for uh, eight years before I bought it, um, and and you know I learned a lot in that time frame, and I learned what I wanted to do with the company and what not to do, just like anything, you know. And I'm not backstreet quarterbacking, but everybody has different visions for a company and. Uh, Patrick Smith, the owner of Kafaru, you know, he was very content. He employed all his, his family and kids and uh, was, was fine with growing, but not hugely expanding. And, um, you know, we had a lot of good designs and, and good things that we, we could have come out with and we, and we didn't. And so now we're working on, you know, slowly but say, but expanding Kafaru. Um, but yeah, I was there as the president for, you know, five for six years, I guess. Um you know, roughly anyway, uh, before we bought it. And, uh, you know, I worked there. I basically worked for free for the first part, and then I worked as like a consultant or a, um, a rep, I guess you could say, and then, and then I, you know, designer, and then I stepped into the lead designer role. So uh, it's quite a, quite an experience. Yeah. So when it comes to Kafaru, Wait, I want to I want to I want to talk about pre Kafaru for a second. I want to talk about why you were in that 11 year glass and you were bouncing around and and doing all these hunts and taking unpaid time. Um, What were you trying to accomplish in your quote unquote hunting career at that point? And what I mean by that is, did you have a goal like on my desk right here on with permanent marker? I have a bucket list of hunts that I want to go on sometime in my life moose caribou uh well, a mule deer and elk are my two that i'm working on right now but did you have a goal or were you just in the wind going wherever the wind took you at that point yeah pretty much my only goal was to hunt as much as humanly possible and you know i don't know if you've seen people give me crap because i don't mount any of my animals well when you're poor Mm-hmm. why would you mount an animal when it pays for gas and, uh, you know, tags or whatever. So I didn't ever mount anything. I didn't, it wasn't my thing and it wasn't, I, I had a photo of it. I didn't need it on the wall. I just wanted to be in the mountains as much as humanly possible. I didn't have a, a specific, um, you know, schedule. I just literally was like, Aaron, just spend as much humanly time on the ground as possible in the wilderness. I just love being outdoors that much and hunting. And so I, I still, to this day, don't really have a goal other than to hunt my ass off. Uh, you know, the end, like I don't, I mean, I have, I want to go kill a brown bear with my recurve. I mean, there's some goals, but I, I truly, if I had the same year I had this year, I have the rest of my life. I will die a happy man. I got my wife's hunting now. She got animals. I, hunting with friends. I get to hunt Scotty, my buddy, the dude I guide for in Texas, Owdad, Whitetail, Mule Deer, Javelina. I get to high country hunt and, and I can hunt other states. And man, I, I just, just love being in the outdoors. And I think that's the big difference with the Insta famous influencer bullshit we deal with nowadays is I didn't get into the outdoor industry because I wanted to be in the industry. Yeah. That was just part of the package with all this other stuff. And it probably gives me and, and others a very unique outlook compared to, um, you know, before I get myself in trouble, I just got in the outdoor industry different than other people do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm on your side, dude. I get it. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I get very frustrated with how hunting is perceived on social because I didn't go through, like, I'm not living that same lifestyle, right? I, dude, I, I grew up hunting on a bucket. Like, that's what I sat on when I was, when I first started bow hunting. And there was no such thing as Sitka. There was no, I mean, it was blue jeans and it was a green hooded sweatshirt and a, sto- a Carhartt stocking cap. And like, that's it, man. And, and, uh, now I'm now somewhat similar to you. I'm in the game, right? I, I have to play the game a little bit in order to, 
you know, make advertisers happy on the network here and, and all that stuff. But, um, I, I, I know exactly what you're, what you're get going to. Well, and I, 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 I get a kick out of, uh, uh, let's see if I can word this without getting myself in too much trouble. The mule deer I just shot with Luke was straight up out of the truck beside a house on private land, very small section, jumped from public to private. We shot it. I told it exactly how it happened. And I got crap for that. But a lot of people really respected the fact that I told the truth. Yeah. Now, I, I can pick seven very known Insta-famous people right now. <laughs> had the same thing happen and told this giant bullshit epic story <laughs> that is totally not true. And, you know, guys are like, man, you need to call these people out. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Yeah. Like, I am living the dream that most, you know, I barely graduated high school. I make a ton of money and I get to hunt my ass off. I'm leaving it alone. I don't want to deal with it. And they're like, yeah, but people are giving you crap for telling the truth. I'm like, the truth will rise, right? Yeah. People will figure out, you know, fakes. And, and you get a guy that, uh, you know, one specifically, for example, missed multiple mule deer um, on a ranch, you know, and jumps out of the truck, wings and arrow, hits it at 97 yards, blind luck, tells this crazy story. But in reality, he's hunting tame mule deer on a ranch and got lucky and winged an arrow at one. You know, do you need to hide some of that? Well, if you need to hide it that much, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, if, if you're embarrassed of the story, the true story to tell, you probably shouldn't be doing it. So I try to tell within reason, obviously, um, how they happen because it's what would happen to you or my buddy down the street or some guy listening. That's going to happen. And am I going to shoot a deer at some point off of the side of the trail, a half a mile from the trailhead on the way into a nine mile trek? Yeah. And I'm going to be happy for it to a certain degree because yeah, it was meant to be that yeah. that's what it was. And then I'm going to backpack in and help my buddy and have one hell of a trip. And I just think honesty is a little harder to find these days, maybe than it should be. Yeah. I, uh, I'm getting ready to go back, not next week, but the week after, uh, I'm, I got uh, I got some redemption I need to uh, handle in South Dakota, so I'm going back uh, to with my bow for <laughs> for uh, for a mule deer hunt out there. And while I was out there the first time in October, I knocked on I saw a farmer in his tractor, and I knock on his or I, I wave him over. He comes over to me. I asked him permission to hunt mule deer hunt, and he goes, "Yeah, absolutely," because I saw some good bucks on this clover patch that were that were that was on his property. So onyxed it up, did that thing. So I pull into his driveway and there are about nine mule deer does just sitting in under the shade of this barn. And I'm just like, they were there at 20 yards. I could have smoked them easily. And I just was like, dude, I don't know if I can do this quite yet. But now on this second trip, if that, if those mule deer does are still there, I'm filling a tag period. And I might be putting the broadhead through some tin. Yeah. Well, you know, I get when people are like, don't want to do that. Well, that's great for you. I mean, then that's your hunt and you, you write your own chapter, but right. every, everybody that's out there is doing it for, you know, different for reasons, you know, like we can shoot those on the way in on the high country. We, we don't do that. But in Texas, I'm I'm whacking or Oklahoma or wherever I'm whacking white tail does like like crazy. I mean, you know, my dogs live off wild game raw meat, uh, so the, the freezer needs to be pretty full of the Great Pyrenees. So yeah, I'm I'm shooting a lot of animals, but I think that um, you're still gained a lot of knowledge, right? Yep. You, you you learned a ton, uh, had a hell of a trip. Your first trip had an amazing trip. Your second one man, that's what, what else do you want? You know, you, you got your money's worth out of your tag. Yeah. That's, that's what you're looking for. Yep. That's a fact. That's a fact. All right. So pre Kafaru now, um, do you have any memorable hunts that just really stick out that you can share with us pre Kafaru? Yeah. Um, man, there's, there's a, a, a good amount. Um, you know, when you're, what I enjoy now, you know, like you're asking pre Kafaru is looking back on how dumb I was. Um, <laughs> the, the, the shit that I did to kill an animal, 
and how bad I was out of it. When I say bad, like if I had the knowledge now and the number, you know, certain units and areas back then that I'd go into and didn't know what I was doing. But, um, you know, for example, I, I went in on a 10 day backpack hunt, uh, years ago and camp trails frame, horribly heavy crap, crappy sleeping bags. And, um, it, you know, it, the kind of hunt where like right now I breeze through it, but was still sucking hind titty on the way in altitude's killing me. And we got in there and on the way in, like four miles in, I shot a, a mule deer and uh good buck. And, and uh, yeah, ecstatic. I shot this, this mule deer, um, you know, debone it and everything else. And I'm like, okay, you know, where am I going to put the meat? And, and that's when I first started putting dry sack, put it in the Creek. It was a garbage bag. Um, and, and we're talking, this is, you know, we're working on a couple decades ago, garbage bag seemed to work, you know, and, uh, then I, I shoot this elk, um, with a buddy and, and we, we do the same thing with the elk and he shoots an elk and, you know, we, we, we come out and, and, and everything's fine. Right. I mean, as far as the game, we take it in, we eat it, everything's good. Well, um, you know, that happened and we're gaining experience and, and, and that hunt was kind of like the turning point of, okay, I have a lot to learn, but if I'm dumb enough and tough enough, we're going to get this done in the back country. And, but I, I'm learning, right? And I, 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 we packed in a saw the first time. Well, I quickly learned I can break down an entire moose with a Taito uh, interchangeable knife, right? I don't need an axe. I don't need a saw to cut legs off, put a little line around the knee. And, and, and I'm learning these things. Um, this is probably more than you asked for in this question. But next year, we do the same type of hunt. Gradually, it's a little bit better, but weather comes in, right? And now we're we're, we're as, as green as the people sending me questions on this and we're in a blizzard and my buddy's got an elk down we're freezing to death and I, do we build a fire it's going to scare all the game away well we, we build a fire and i shoot my bull 400 yards from a bonfire for us to stay warm i'm like well i, I get i guess the elk don't don't mind fire right I, and, and and the abuse i was taking on my body i guess is the moral of the story because I didn't know things and, and, and were nervous. Is the meat going to go bad? And you, you, those were the ones that I remember the most, not the, the, the ones where I, I mean, I remember them all, but those ones I look back and if somebody asks me a question uh, and I'm like, come on, dude. And then I'm like, no, I was dumber than that once too. You just don't know what you don't know. And, and those ones are really exciting. But I, uh, one of the craziest hunts was I was on a combo mule deer elk hunt, packed out a mule deer, uh, dropped it off to my buddy at the road, came back in. I was pissing blood a little bit, um, not drinking enough water. I just thought that I was dehydrated. I got on this big, big bull, and I, it's like I took a sniper shot in the back, and I was passing a kidney stone, and mm. I didn't know it. And I, I was five or six miles in, and uh, this one's definitely memorable because I looked like that dude on Green Mile, Tom Hanks, pissing in the yard. I was like, what the hell? I'm going to die. I'm worried about, am I going to see my daughter again? I'm trying to uh, assess the situation. Do I take all my gear in case I can't make it out and, and, and shrub the load? Do I go, uh, you know, fast and light? Uh, what, you know, what do I do? And again, green as grass. I don't know what's going on. Um, and, and I had a lot more experience at this time, but I, I had not had the, the privilege of passing a kidney stone. Um, so that one was, Pretty, pretty dang memorable, um, you know, and, and uh, I mean, I go on and on with stories like yeah. this, but those are the ones where I look back and I really learned so much and, and, and we're just, you know, things you can't take away, like they'll be there forever in my mind. Yeah. So it sounds to me like all of those experiences, whether it's weather, whether it's food or gear or uh, strategy and trying to kill the animal has all kind of turned you into this efficient animal this efficient predator right was there, was there a time where you had it like it clicked for you to where you know on this trip an animal's gonna die like you you just you walk into the woods or, or the mountain and, and you're confident probably around 2007 or 8 um uh probably 2008 i guess is when i really 
I mean, I thought I was really successful before that because I was killing animals, but not at the level um, that, that I have, have gotten to be. And, you know, I, I, I get uh, a little bit of crap about being overly confident or, or arrogant, which I get, but I, I'm trying. I'm not to be. I'm a confident person, but it, it truly is. It, it can be. Uh, and, you know, I got my butt kicked by elk this year. Obviously, it's not a gimme, but it, it truly um, – when it clicks, uh, it, it, it certainly, um, I'm trying to say this without coming off overly arrogant, which I probably will anyway, but the guy that was just with us on this, this owl dad hunt, uh, well, he was hunting mule deer. He asked Scotty, my buddy, uh, and I wasn't around said, what success rate is Aaron at on stocks? And he, he was like, look, high 70%. When he goes on a stock, we know we're, we're packing an animal out and he's like, why? And he goes, he reads animals better than anybody I know. He's fit. He never gives up. He, he, he stays in it. No, he, he has a short term memory. He's always happy to be here. He can shoot. He knows when to move. Well, you don't pop out. of. I don't care what anybody says. You don't pop out of the womb knowing all that. If you get my ass kicked for many years and, yeah. and, and you gotta be, you can't read that in the book. It can help. And so I think that ass-whooping red line threshold happened around 2008 where I'd gotten my butt kicked enough that I'd learned enough to, to know what I was doing. Spe- speaking of that, do you have a specific example of maybe a time where you went on a, a stock or you were making a move on an elk or whatever and it was something you put a lot of time and energy in to whether it was a multiple day or maybe just a several hour stock where it ended in you fucking up? Yeah. Well, hell that just happened in 2018. Um, you know, nothing's ever a, a, a bonus, but 2019, I mean, uh, with the recurve, obviously a little bit different with the compound, but, um, yeah, I mean, in 2009, I think, um, I, I missed, you know, they're always bigger when you miss them, but uh, so a, a 350 plus bull at 26, seven yards um, made me totally reinvent my, um, my aiming system um, on, on how I look at a bull when it comes in, where I'm putting my pins. Uh, that was a heartbreaker. Ended up killing a bull that year, but nothing like the one I missed. Uh, mule deer stock. I stocked on a mule deer in his first bed. I can't remember what year this was and learned the hard way even though it seemed like he would stay there, never stock them on their first bed, maybe 1% of the time. And, you know, these aren't like, these are hunts where we're backpacked in three, five, seven miles. So I, I talked about it. Even Rogan just brought it up on a podcast he was doing with Tim Green. Around day five or six, you really start to think about everything in life you've screwed up on, not animals, uh, relationships you screwed up, friends that you didn't treat correctly, thank yous you didn't say. It, it's a it's a mind it uh, fuck bad. Yeah. Right. Like I mean it and now I'm a, I have a, a perfect wife. I have a good life and I, I try I've tried to right any wrongs I've done to, to stay at peace with myself. Well, when you miss an animal, you not only miss an animal when you're not right with yourself and you've done like you you, you have some skeletons in the closet you need to fix. You are packing those back to your camp, and that is a lot of baggage to sit on. So it's not, which is really weird to say, it, you know, if your wife's already pissed off at you because you left home and the kids are pissed and you went hunting and you missed, and you have that to think about, <laughs> that's a tough road to hope. And yeah. people don't talk about this shit, but this is real world. I mean, this happens. Like, you know, well, in 2019, I'd hunted. I had a bunch of close calls. We were trying to shoot a big mature buck. I passed a lot of small bucks. And on day, and my wife's not beside me, I'd ask her, day 11, I missed, uh, well, it ended up scoring 201. They killed it with a rifle in, in you know, three, you know, in, in the rifle season. I missed a buck at 12 yards in the cliffs. I about killed myself to, to kill it. There's photos of me hanging off this cliff. I'd lost 18 pounds. I was physically not well. Um, I kind of run myself ragged. I, we were going to Alaska in a few days. I had one more day to hunt, and I climbed up to the top of the mountain. I called my wife. I said, hey, I'm, I'm done. I, I, I'm coming home. I miss you. And uh, 
you know, literally, it's, it's, I don't, I'm not a crier, but literally, like, I was an emotional wreck, sleep deprivation, food deprivation. Everybody tries to pay a badass. I don't care how tough you are. You're going to get fucked up. There's no way around it. Yeah. And I'm like, honey, I'm, I'm coming home. And she's like, you've got one more day. I'm like, I'll come back. I'm, I'm not, I am not doing well. And I was solo. Um, and I, you know, was trying to assess as I'm hyping back to my camp. Is one day worth it? Should I stay? Am I going to regret this? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come back in fresh after this Alaska hunt. Uh, of course, you know, as I say this, I'm complaining about hunting too much, but being realistic, um, that one was a, a tough one to, to, to swallow. Um, that, I guess my short-term memory wasn't working on that one because I, I missed it at 12 yards, and I'm like, all the work I put in, all the miles, all the shooting, all the training, and I missed at 12 yards, and that was one in a long time. That was the first one that really, you know, shook me where I'm like, I hunted one deer for 11 days, Snyder, and you fuck this up. Yeah. You're worthless. Like, I was pretty hard on myself, and I normally am, am not that, that bad. Let me, let me ask you a question. This is something I'm personally dealing with um, is when to come home right you you do this math of time like say for for example uh um i i live in iowa so if i'm gonna hunt west i got a a long drive typically ahead of me and then it comes to the end of your hunt and you're like okay if i kill an elk it's gonna take me x number of hours to get it out of here possibly days it's gonna and, and then that's gonna put me back on the back end and the guys that i'm with how do you know when to cut a trip short or you know there, there's obviously you plan for let's say a 10-day hunt but it's really like a nine-day hunt because if you kill something the afternoon of the last day you're going over over that if that makes sense is that something that that you think about or do you typically try to hunt till the last moment every single time well it's easy for me to say that now with my uh, schedule but when i worked construction it was you know, and it, and it was a 10 day hunt. I hunted till the, the point that I could make the drive back. Uh, and I didn't take the pack out into consideration because if I had to extend it, I would. Now that's me. And, and you can really risk getting fired from that. Like that's something you have to take into consideration. So if you have, for example, two weeks of vacation, one's for out West and one's for whitetail. Use two of those days to get the elk out if you if you really want to – if the hunting's good, right? Like, don't piss it away on bad hunting. But I always look at it on day 10. I'll hunt in the morning, and, and you know, I might be a day late if I kill one in the morning. In the evening, I'm packing out. You know, I, I, when I say evening, noon, I'm packing out for the drive back, whatever that mathematical equation is. But I always had, hey, I'll be back on the 12th unless I get one. Uh, on the 11th, then I'd probably be back on the 13th and, and got the okay from that. But I also um, had dedicated my life to hunting, and if I got fired, I would have found a new job anyway. So, I, you know, that's probably not the best guy to ask. <laughs> right, right. I remember telling an employer one time, uh, this was before I got hired for my last job, and I said, listen, I take a week off of work at least a week off of work, sometimes two every November. Is that going to be a problem? I said, well, you only have one, like you only have X number of vacation days a year. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, this isn't, (laughs) this is not going to work for me because I, I like my free time that time of year too much. So I I get it. Well, you know, as people are listening into this, this is something to think about. And of, 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 uh, Again, risk of sounding uh, arrogant, like when people are like, oh, I would kill as much as you if I got to hunt as much as you. And I'm like, well, why don't you? Yeah. What do you mean? And I'm like, well, why don't you hunt as much as me? I I, I barely graduated high school. I'm I'm from a very poverty-stricken family. I have nothing going for me other than hard work. Now, I've gotten to a point where I get to hunt a lot. Yeah. You know, can everybody do that? No, but even when I worked construction, which people that have known me for a long time that will defend me, but like, look, he was doing this long before he was known in the industry. And, and what I would do with my employers is I tried to get so skilled at the job I had, if there was ever any issue um, where they would bring it up, I would say, all right, 
is me being gone an extra two days worth what I bring to the table? Yeah. If I'm not worth that extra two days, I wouldn't keep me on anyway. I'm not saying I'm going to be gone extra two days, but I could be. And then when it came down for promotions and raises, I didn't barter for more money. I bartered for more time off. Yeah. Um, you know, that's easy to say, right? I was divorced, but um, when it came down to, hey, we're going to bump you up, uh, you know, you're taking a job as a project manager, uh, you're going to get an increase in pay of six bucks an hour. I'd be like, no, I'd like to increase in pay in a couple more weeks of vacation or, hey, you need to know I'm going to take unpaid vacation, uh, you know, because I would always take a couple months off at a minimum every year. And be like, how'd you do that? I'm like, well, I didn't get paid. You better save your money. You know, of course, yeah. I slept on a thermorest air mattress and didn't have a TV. Uh, so there's a lot of sacrifice in there, but I didn't care about TV. I cared about hunting. So. Yeah. All right. So you hit Kafaru, right? You started working for Kafaru. Uh, you eventually uh, purchased the company. Now you're the owner and all that stuff. How has hunting changed, if it has changed? since your time with Kafaru? Mm, you know, just more opportunities, um, you know, is a big thing. And I've never really, I've never been able to afford guided hunts and I've went on a couple now. Um, you know, one thing good is, is if you're good at what you do, they'll try and hire you as a guide, which is beneficial. <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'll trade like, Hey, I'll trade you an animal and I'll guide for free for, you know, X amount of days or clients. And, uh, you know, and then you bring business to them and then they obviously they'll give you some discounts, but really just opportunities is the, you know, the big thing. And when I say opportunities, not in the prime time, but like extended time, um, you know, the, the, the time where I normally wouldn't maybe get to hunt, I didn't have good whitetail spots or I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know enough about certain areas and those kind of things have really opened up and, and I've gotten to do like Alberta, uh, with Jeff Lander, um, you know, that hunt is, you got to have a guide up there or a resident. And I, I can't remember what it's called when a resident brings you, but you know, that hunt with 6,500 Kafaru paid for it. I would, wouldn't have been able to go on that. So that was good. But um, really just opportunities at a very, very low cost. Like, you know, I'm, I'm bartering in, in things still for, for hunting. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think people have a, if I was going on doll sheep hunts and brown bear hunts, then yeah, I'm going on really expensive hunts, but I trade um, a lot of things for, for different hunts and it's because of the position I've, I've gotten into now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I tell you what, man, the last question I have for you, it's, it's straight personal. Uh, it's like something that I want to know is, so I'm getting ready to apply to, uh, uh, this upcoming spring or here pretty soon, whenever the, I got to look into it, but, uh, I got seven, I'm going to draw or put in seven points for Wyoming for elk. And I kind of have it broken down to grizzly bear country and not grizzly bear country, uh, as far as units to look into. And so my, my question to you is being a flatlander who I don't, like even when I went on my other elk hunts, you know, there was black bears in the area, but it was never really a concern, right? If you hunt grizzlies, it's a little bit more of a concern. Should I be making a unit decision based off of, and, and, and that much time and that much points, should I take into consideration grizzly bears or should I not? And then make the proper, take the proper precautions after I choose the unit. Uh, I would pay attention if you're scared of bears because that'll drive a lot of people off the mountain. Um, if if you're, you know, for me, bears don't bother me. Um, you know, I'm used to them, even grizzlies. But if if a bear is something that will potentially drive you off the mountain early, I would pay attention ahead of time, find low populated or no grizzly bear units and apply for those rather than heavily populated grizzly units that are good elk hunting because that could potentially make you come off the mountain. Gotcha. Gotcha. But if you don't, if you don't give a shit then apply away, you know, I, I that's the big variable. Are you scared of bears? Yeah. Uh, when I say scared, are you hesitant of bears? Like everybody, I care how crazy you are. There's a little fear in there. And I don't, I mean, I've been charged a ton and I, there's, there's definitely a, um, awareness you must have about you. Uh, when you're in grizzly country, you gotta be more paid more attention about hanging your, uh, your game or your food. 
uh, you need to have a weapon on you, you know, things like that, where when there's no grizzlies, a black bear's not going to do anything, you know, grizzlies are the problem. Yeah, and it's not that I necessarily am scared of them now, but I might be scared of them if there's one, you know, 40 yards from me. Uh, while I'm out there, you know, cause I have no, I have no experience with an aggressive animal like that. Yeah. I'd probably stay away from there until you have a little bit, you don't want to, you don't want to put in 12 points to a place that you're having trouble talking yourself into going into yeah. certain areas or getting into the elk with 12 points. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, you may be scared shitless of you may not be, but you really don't want to risk 12 years of applying for an unknown. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, Aaron, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to BS with me for a little bit. Um, thank you very much for your time. And uh, I guess if anybody wants to take a look at your gear on Kafaru, where should we send them? Uh, Kafaru.net is the website. Um, and then Kafaru underscore I-N-T-L is the uh, uh, Instagram page. Uh, and then it's just A-R-O-N. Uh, S-N-Y-D-E-R for my Instagram page which has got Kafaru and, and hunting and all kinds of other crap tech tips and everything else and then YouTube uh, it's Kafaru Cast um, and then we have a YouTube or a, a podcast as well and then there's a Kafaru Tube page so there's stuff all over gotcha I know Aaron was a busy man today so huge shout out to him for taking time out of his day to hop on and chit chat Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to listen, follow along. Um, you know, don't be afraid to comment. Go to Instagram, go to Facebook, and uh, leave your thoughts on this episode. I, I know a lot of people have already reached out to me and said they're excited for this one. So there's that. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast Average Conservationist, Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Wasp and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because ultimately you're supporting me. And I'll tell you right now, every one of these brands that I work with, they're money. They're awesome. So uh, not only good people to work with, but also great products. And that's a win-win if you ask me. Other than that, follow along on Instagram, Facebook, uh, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. And check out the sportsmansnation.com sportsmansnation.com and have a good day be kind to people send good vibes out to the world and i know you're gonna get them back man so uh i don't know be good and we'll talk to you next time man